comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs, and one. Cal up top, Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. Watson, and a foul! This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's good, Aztec Nation? Welcome to another edition of the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Kinslow. I am flying solo today. Before we get into everything, you can go and follow the show at Aztec Breakdown. That's also Trone's handle. You can follow me at Call Me Kinslow over on Twitter as well. That's where we really hang out and engage with our audience. So if you're new here and you're gearing up for the final stretch run of the 2021-2022 men's basketball season, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, Utah State at home, easy does it. That team is not beating us in Vegas. <laughs> That, that's how I feel after watching last night's victory over Utah State, where, let's be frank, they dominated in the second half. 56-75 to 75 was your final score. Players of the game, uh, I think you had a few to pick from. The obvious two were Matt Bradley at 22 points, and Kashad Johnson with a solid 14 and a couple of bangouts for the Graham. Absolutely positive performance coming off of a run of about a couple of games where just weren't performing to the level of expectations, I think it's fair to say. Three wins, but three wins that just were ugly. And the offense looked gross, and the defense looked lackadaisical. It kind of felt like a stretch where we knew we were going to win. We knew that we were better than these teams, and we really put out a minimal effort to you know, handle them and take care of business. The San Jose State game was so frustrating because that team has absolutely no chance against us if we put in a 40-minute effort. We're talking 30 points better than that team, maybe 40, if we got a complete game and we had a terrible game and still won. So it's really good to see this team kind of put it all together in a matchup versus a team that literally kicked our butts not too long ago. And I've been pretty anti-Dutcher on Twitter these last couple of games, just with some of his rotations, some of his matchup styles. And this game kind of really cemented some things that uh, I thought Dutcher did very positively, but also kind of some strategy thought process points that Dutcher's been using moving forward. So the first thing that I really want to give Dutch a lot and the, the team and the coaching staff a lot of credit for was in the first half, pretty much every offensive set was run out of a double low post action, meaning someone setting a screen for Mensa, Mensa's setting a screen for KJ, for Matt Bradley. They're getting post touches. We're working it inside out. Um, or at least just making the bigs work for Utah State. Let's, Justin Bean, their best player by a mile. You need to make him work even more. If you really look at Justin Bean's weakness, he takes really bad fouls sometimes. Now, there was a play last night where they actually called a jump ball on Utah with Utah State when Mensa got blocked from behind. 
and Justin Bean raked Mensa across the arms. He's definitely the conference, one of the conference's boys, if it would say, if you would say, uh, because we would never in a million years get a call like that. And I think this whole idea that uh, the Mountain West referees are terrible is kind of spreading throughout the conference. It's a universal opinion. But uh, back to the original point, running those bigs off that double action allowed us to really open up the game in the second half. Just look at the first half, which was a little bit slower pace, versus the second half, which we're running, we're breaking, KJ's dunking all over the place. And we really took advantage of those bigs inside. We dominated the paint in the second half. Absolutely dominated. was a complete key to success and essentially a 20-point victory. This was also a game where we saw the reemergence of Agueca Rope, who you could argue is maybe the third or fourth most important player on our team. If you just look at the splits when we have him and when we don't have him, it's night and day. A rope is the best small ball four and five that we have on this roster. I think he's probably the best rebounder, pure rebounder on the team in terms of just effort, energy, and intensity. Last night, multiple plays where he created second and third chances for our offense. And when you have a bad offense like we do, Literally every possession counts. And so really getting the most out of those uh, opportunities is imperative for the Aztecs. When a rope plays, Dutcher is willing to go small. You saw it again last night where he was playing the five. It was a very short stretch. But Dutcher's willing to go small with a rope. And frankly, I think that's the absolute best that the Aztecs can play is when they go small. The proof is in really two games this year, both against Colorado State. In the first game, small ball absolutely dominated to a 30-point blowout. And in the second game, in Colorado, the small ball lineup entered with about six minutes left down 16 or 17 points. And they basically played it out until about I would say a minute left with the small ball lineup that was in and the team came all the way back. So clearly against CSU, he's willing to play small ball, but against the other teams, I don't know if he really is. I think one of Dutcher's biggest hesitancies towards running a small ball lineup on a consistent basis is a ropes inconsistent availability. Uh, He struggles to play in back-to-back games He's had cases of vertigo. The poor guy can't catch a break. And Dutcher wants lineups that he can rely on and trust. And when the key to unlocking small ball isn't available, it's hard for you to really run that lineup out on a regular basis. I would still like to see KJ at the five, CBM at the four, uh, but that's clearly something he's not willing to do. Lately, he's gone away from the two-big lineup, and when I say two-big lineup, I mean the lineup with Tomajich and Diabate. That is, in my opinion, the worst lineup that the Aztecs play on a regular basis, just because neither of those two people, Tihiro Diabate, Joshua Tomajich, can guard anyone on the perimeter. 
and the Aztecs are playing a extremely one through five switch heavy on ball defense. And if two of your three guys can't do the basic necessities of guarding essentially positions one through three, you're cooked. And those lineups get cooked on, on defense because they don't fall in line with the basic principles of how we want to play on a regular basis. So why does small ball work? I've been hammering this point for two years on this podcast that I want small ball to be played more, and there's a reason for it. And I'm not just throwing shit on the wall and hoping it sticks. The reason is because the Aztecs have freak athletes at the fo- uh, who probably in 10, 15 years ago would be considered big guys, right, playing in the post. But now because the game's moved away from the basket, they're considered fours and small fives. A rope and KJ have zero perimeter offense. Zero. None. Neither of them can shoot. Neither of them is an excellent passer, right? I think both of their characteristics lend them to be better at playing closer to the hoop. KJ, freak athlete. Look at where he was dunking from last night. And yesterday he had a dunk in, a, in that game versus Bean where he two-foot left, which is rare for him. But I like it because it's, he's believing he can dunk from anywhere on the court. And that's what we want. If KJ catches the ball on the perimeter, go take somebody's head off at the hoop. That's what, that's what we want. And with a rope, a rope's best offensive game are his post moves. He has, far and away, the best post moves of anyone on the team. Better than Mensa, better than Tamayich, better than Diabate. He is better at backing his guy down, using a drop step or a pivot to get his guy on his back, creating contact, and hitting a layup. Now, he does have the propensity to miss some short ones, but his effort and his energy are insane and can simply outmotor the other fours and fives on the team. The reason it works so well against Colorado State, it's pretty straightforward. David Roddy, he's a power big, power big. He's going to use his size and strength to pound you inside. Now, Roddy is an excellent player and has completely redeveloped his outside shot so he can play on a perimeter role with some finesse. But let's be honest, when all else fails, he's going to try and get to the basket and go through you. And so when you roll out a lineup with a rope and KJ versus somebody like that, the reason it works so well is a rope and KJ are freakishly long, very, very long arms. They're also insanely quick players. They're faster than Roddy. They can negate his size and strength with their length and quickness, and it works. And not only that, but it forces Roddy to play both ends of the court, for like the whole court, because you can move KJ to the perimeter, which is going to force Roddy to defend on the wing. There, there are so many different reasons that it works against CSU, but just the length and the athleticism and the speed are the two biggest reasons. This was a game that 
I thought Keith could be a factor in, but let's be honest, that's just not happening. Dutcher has really made it a point to only play three guards, which I am very stunned at, uh, simply because Trey is in a funk. And the way that some of the, the media and some of the people on Aztec Twitter are talking about him, like, I don't get it. We need to be honest. Since COVID, Trey has been bad. He's regressed. And his offensive game isn't there. He seems a step slow to me, which would be in line with COVID. Now, I have no idea if he even had COVID. But these are just things that I'm noticing. Now, the thing about Trey, he's going to play his tail off on D every single night. But when you're physically not 100%, your mental game goes a little bit. And so there are plays where Trey's been getting backdoored and he just doesn't seem right to me, right? It just doesn't seem like he's got the same confidence level. He's got the same energy. It just seems like something's wrong. And the proof is just look at his splits over the last four or five games. Against Utah State, he was minus 25 in the game in Utah. They lost that game by 17 or 18, and he was minus 25. Now, to be fair, everyone that was in the game at the end of that game got crushed on the plus-minus score because we kind of just quit, right? Let's just be honest. We quit, or we just kind of stopped playing, and Utah State ran up the score, and the result of that was last night's game where we whooped their ass, and I really think that I would love this team, the Aztecs, and me as a fan, we, I'd love to play them in Vegas. I really would. I don't think that team can beat us uh, when, we're, when we're right. That game against Utah State in Utah, that was COVID le- had COVID legs written all over it. We kind of just stopped playing the last five minutes. And I really think that there was, a, uh, there was a, an opportunity to integrate Keith, and Dutch has gone completely against it. Yesterday, he, I don't even think he was wearing a jersey yesterday. Uh, I think he was just wearing, you know, that shooting shirt, but I I couldn't tell if he was or not. But clearly he's not going to get any run unless there's injuries, and even then, I don't know. The other lineup uh, trend that is a sure thing now is Chad is an imperative player on this team. I think we all kind of saw the flashes, but now he's arguably our second-best offensive player right now. Lamont's kind of in a shooting slump. I love that he's still attacking the basket, but CBM has some moves. He's got that catch the ball in the corner, take one dribble to the baseline, pull up jump shot. That's like a a 15 foot two footer or 15 foot two pointer. That isn't the most efficiently pleasing shot, but he seems to be hitting it at at a decent clip. And if you want to see the return of the mid-range game, just look at DeMar DeRozan this year in the NBA. He is probably the comeback player of the year going away, and he's shooting a lot of twos. So, And for this offense, any basket is a good basket, right? So when you have a guy who can come in, has a go-to move that works consistently, he's also hitting his threes, he's getting better on defense, He's a huge part of this team. He's normally coming in uh, at that five-minute mark post-starters with uh, Seiko, and I think it's working. 
I think that playing him as much as we can is a good thing. I think there is a real opportunity to have him in the offseason become this kind of combo 2-3 guard that uh, we could use, absolutely use, when we want to go big, playing him at the 2. I think he's got the ball-handling ability, and he's got the motor. He's definitely become a fan favorite, too, and, and that's important because those guys bring the energy to Viejas and, and really light the fire under the rest of the team. So huge props to Chad, who's really developed and gotten comfortable over the last month or so in this offense after you know coming to a new program and trying to see where we fit in. And I think that kind of leads me into my next point, which is clearly the offensive pieces know their role. Matt Bradley is taking more catch-and-shoot threes than he did at the start of the year. He's getting the ball on the block a lot more. He's doing less isolation. He is isolating, but it's normally when he's hot. And this guy gets as many heat checks as he wants on this team because he can put in 20, 30, 40 points on any given night. So he has that freedom. But he just seems to be playing more within the the framework of the offense which is a lot of high-low ball screens, uh, you know, horns plays, stuff like that. But clearly, Matt Bradley and, and CBM are carrying the offensive load for us right now, and then you're getting you know, minor contributions from, from the rest of the team. Another trend that I want to point out is Nathan Mensa's post-offense. This is something that, for the last couple of years, Utah State was awesome at because of uh, Queta or Keita. When he would get the ball, most of the time we're doubling, he's kicking out to an open man. Teams are doubling Mensa. Mensa's not even looking to pass. Mensa passed, by my calculations, twice out of post entries last night. They resulted in an uncontested three and an uncontested three. He needs to pass more out of the post if we want to be successful and really hit our hit our mark. He's quietly kind of had a regression this year too, along with Trey. And because the team had COVID, there's a chance that he had COVID. I don't know. Again, it's speculation. Um, but he just doesn't look right like he did last year. There was a point in la- last last season where... I thought Mensa was going to be our best player this year. And it just kind of hasn't worked out for him. I still think he kind of takes some bad fouls every now and then, which which takes him off the court and really eliminates all of his positive work. No question he's still elite defensively and a really good rebounder. But I just think he's not really had the season we were all hoping from him. And to go along with, with the previous point of, of strategies and substitutions, we're seeing more straight swaps with Diabate in lineups for him and less of Tamayic. Now, there are moments where with, with Diabate where, where I ask myself, why is he on the court at all? And I think the answer is he's big, he can set screens, he can rebound. But other than that, I don't know. And Tamayic clearly has kind of tried to mold into a four, which... I always thought was a bad idea, turned out to be a bad idea. And so now he and Diabate are splitting those back up five minutes. If we never see them on the court again, I would be very happy 
or again together. We clearly need to play them uh, against traditional lineups. But putting them together, we've talked about their perimeter defense on the pod before. It, it's rough. And when you're one through five switching, can't have that happen. The last kind of point I would like to make before we move on to the other topics I wanted to talk about today is look at KJ's numbers. KJ is a very good representative of how well the team is performing or isn't performing. KJ last night had 14 points, I believe, and second leading scorer. If KJ is our second leading scorer, there is a good chance we're having a pretty good game. He is most likely scoring his points in transition off dunks. Those are huge momentum plays. That dunk he had on a fast break from a great find from Lamont uh, in transition really was like the game over moment. Uh, and I'm sure that people who were at Viejas, Viejas went nuts. I know that the crowds have been less than they normally would be because of COVID and mask mandates and restrictions, but hopefully last night was a good a, a, a Viejas game that felt kind of like Viejas because the ones in the past really haven't. So KJ being kind of that temperature gauge for how we're playing, I think is really important and, and a really straightforward re answer to are we playing well or are we not playing well? You look in the first half, KJ really struggled uh, and we were in those lineups. He wasn't doing very well. We actually had a deficit when he came out with two fouls. And then in the second half, he had an awesome second half, and we really took off. So use KJ as a thermometer moving forward. Points that I'd love to hit. Friends, this is a down year for San Diego State. Unquestionably down year for us. We're the team to beat. <laughs> I, I, I just don't see a scenario where a team wants to play San Diego State in Vegas especially if we have our act together because we could really go into the tournament on a little streak without our point guard playing well, without our backup point guard playing well. And really only Matt Bradley and Chad playing well. And if that happens, if all of the pieces can fall, there's not a team in this conference that's beating us. The problem is the pieces have to fall into place for us to be successful. And the, the, the equation for San Diego State to win is very simple. Score over 75 points. If we can score over 75 points, I'm pretty confident that not a lot of teams are going to beat us. I would say one, they might beat us one out of 10 times, and that time sure as heck might be in the tournament, but the majority of the time we're going to come out on top. Defense, 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 enough points to win. That's the strategy. And Wyoming lost to New Mexico last night, which is a blow for the conference because Wyoming just was ranked 22nd for like the first time in half decade. I think it was 2015 was the last time they were ranked or something like that. And then to lose at New Mexico, which, ugh, that's just... That's just a bad, bad loss. New Mexico fans starting to chirp a little bit. Let me give you a breakdown, friends. When Patino gets your record to 500, he's out of there, and you're back to the garbage fire that you were for the last six, seven years. 
the bottom line is this. The Mountain West is best when three schools are good. San Diego State, New Mexico, and UNLV. And the reason being is because those are the programs that if they're good, they can actually get backing from their region, from their area, and they're more nationally known programs, right? Two of those teams have been utter, just horrible for recent memory. And the conference has suffered. I think the conference as a whole would be getting more national attention if instead of us being in fourth, it was UNLV and we were in second, or instead of Boise, instead of CSU, these schools that aren't really thought of on a national landscape, if UNLV could just be as good as them, it would, be, it would do a, a world of good for our conference. Pivoting to the rumor mill, uh, this week we've had some Aztecs appear on the local radio, and Adam Seiko mentioned or was talking with the John and Jim show, uh, John Schaefer, who is Aztec Twitter darling John Schaefer. Um, so Seiko was on his show, and he mentioned to John that he was leaning towards coming back as a graduate or fifth-year senior. Uh, and that would be huge for us, right? I think that we have a glaring need at the two-guard position, uh, especially right now. Next year, if Trey doesn't come back as your starting one, you move Lamont over, and then who's taking that starting two-guard role? And I think that Adam has really proven this year that he deserves to start, and I think if he comes back, he's going to get rewarded with that, especially because you know Dutcher loves seniors, and next year's team is going to be a lot younger than this year's team is It's looking like. And so I think that Adam Sago coming back would be a huge victory for us and something that we really should kind of be hoping for. Now, there are rumors about other players basically verbally committing to come back. They're all rumors at this point, so I don't want to talk about them, but he might not be the only one. He kind of seems like it, it, it makes a lot of sense for Adam to come back, um, especially with his role, and he can get another year of education, and uh, he can continue to develop for what I'm sure will be a run in a European basketball league or African basketball league or, you know, overseas, essentially. Um, But I would love to have him back. I think next year he would be phenomenal for us. And that does it for our show today. I hope that you continue to stay active over on Twitter, continue to stay active on the radio. I've heard some of you call into the shows around town. Just stay active. San Diego State basketball needs more love in this community, and we get that done by being vocal, right? So I hope you all have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the game this weekend. Most importantly, go Aztecs.